everything's pretty pristine except right on the middle of that bath mat was a large pile of <laughs> Welcome to Mosaic of China, a podcast about people who are making their mark in China. I'm your host Oscar Fuchs. So, before we get into today's episode, a quick thank you to everyone who was inspired by last week's interview with Sabrina from the Shanghai International Dance Center and who shared their favorite dancing stickers on WeChat. It was a nice little happy distraction from what's going on in the world right now. I use the word distraction because I'm coming to terms with how much this has helped me over the last 7 weeks here in China. So, I don't want to dwell too much on the news of the coronavirus in today's episode. The one thing I will mention is that what is it now? It's March 24th, 2020 when this episode is being released, and the situation in Shanghai is that there is a new app that you can download onto your phone that runs a continuous contagion assessment on you. It's not mandatory, but for the last 2 weeks it's been increasingly difficult to enter certain buildings without having this app and showing your color code. So if your color code is green, it means that you are clear to enter the building but if it's orange or red then that means you can't enter and you should consult medical experts as soon as possible what's going on here is that maybe the app knows that you're a confirmed covid-19 patient since it's linked to your identity card or for the same reason maybe it knows that you've arrived from outside of china and you shouldn't be out of quarantine yet or maybe it traced you back to a metro car in which a fellow passenger later tested positive for the virus While being a dream for technology fans and epidemiologists, this example reinforced my thoughts about how every society dealing with this virus right now is balancing the conflict between public safety on the one hand and individual privacy on the other. You can see how China's reaction has definitely been heavily geared towards public safety. On to today's episode, which is with the tour manager Abe Deo. There aren't many live music shows happening right now, so that's an obvious irony in releasing this episode today. And maybe in another irony, Abe also mentions Wuhan a couple of times in our chat. It's funny how these days things like that can make your ears prick up. It of course didn't register as anything out of the ordinary when we recorded this chat several weeks ago. This is Abe Deo, the directing manager of Adapt, which is the emerging artists arm. of live nation welcome to mosaic of china we start all these interviews by discussing an object so have you brought your object today i have let me pull that out it is a context t3 <laughs> so when i came here i wasn't really in the music or the music industry at all um photography that's kind of like my background but being kind of a natural introvert and someone who is very interested in like documentary photography i always had trouble meeting people to follow around and be that wallflower <laughs> mm. so through photography i got into music i started going to shows and taking pictures there which was fun but it still wasn't like documentary photography which is what i love um so i had this bright idea where i was like okay well you know this is back in 2005 like well It's not many foreign bands coming. Maybe if I invite a band, put on a tour for them, then I can just follow them around and take pictures. <laughs> Cuz yeah. they can't really say no if I'm the one who's organizing everything. Right. Yeah, a little that I know there's a little bit more into organizing a tour than just contacting somebody and saying you want to come over and do some shows. Um <laughs> but that's how I got into it and that's how it all started. Great. Well, tell me a story then about when you would have used the camera. 
this particular camera is more recent. I have <laughs> quite a few cameras, so I kind of move in between which cameras I like to use on tour, but it's always something that's with me. It's probably one of the reasons I still do what I do. I mean, after 13 years of traveling to the same cities over and over and over and over again. <laughs> so what cities are on a, on a regular tour? Shanghai and Beijing are always ones that you'll find artists going to. Shanghai in particular, because crowds in Shanghai are quite consistent and very good, very supportive of like indie music. Beijing, a little less so, but still very good. And then those are the, like, the two main cities. Then if an artist is a little more ambitious, or, the, or I should say the promoter is a little more ambitious, <laughs> they might do Chengdu, Guangzhou, Wuhan, cities like that. And then you can be really ambitious and move into like the sec more second, third tier cities. I've done shows now, I think, in 30 cities. Oh, wow. Just not, I not on a regular basis. Mm -hmm. I do it like once and be like, okay, that was interesting, but definitely not a place you want to go back to. Right. But then you never know. In a place like China, you, you go there one year later and suddenly it's 100 people, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, that I guess kind of happened with my third favorite city to do shows in, which is Luoyang. Luoyang? Yeah. Okay. So why, why would that be your third favorite? Third favorite because the crowds are great, always fairly consistent. You get probably about 70% of the, the audience as you would in like Shanghai or Beijing, which is pretty good. And everyone's just so desperate for music, mm. you know, because there is none that, yeah, they'll go to see whatever. And they're very open about it, experiencing new genres of music. And the city itself is just very interesting because, mm. you know, Beijing and Shanghai, obviously now with the influx of expats, it's very international, easy to get around. But Luoyang is still very provincial. So it's just an interesting experience. So how does it happen that these artists are coming around China? Well, as a promoter, I, I pitched the, the idea for the tour. So I'll lay out like the route that I think will work for them. And then, you know, they'll come back and say, oh, yeah, we're interested or not. Because I'll put in like an offer for you know, what we can pay. And most of the time they are very interested in you know doing as many cities as they can obviously but the more remote the city the less they know about it usually the more their interest is peaked because mm. like uh, if you look you know Luoyang most foreigners don't really know where that is mm. great so out of 13 years if you add it up and how many of those tours do you think you've gone through Luoyang then I only started doing Luoyang much later because I had done like Zhengzhou and Xi'an, which are very close to Luoyang uh, many times. But then I'd say the first show in Luoyang was 2012. Oof, probably 30, 30 or 40 times. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, probably, probably closer to 30 than 40. But... So I guess, which were the most memorable tours that you've been a part of? This probably happened four, yeah, four or five years ago. Uh, I was traveling with this Swedish band. I won't say their name. Um, and I was sharing a room with their keyboardist because, you know, on tours, sometimes with like larger groups, you, you got to share rooms. It's very common. So I was rooming with their keyboardist and I'm not a big partier, never have been, but some of the bands do like to drink, and especially the Scandinavian bands, uh, which is all good. You know, our hotel right across from the venue. Perfect. Um, Loyang, the place we play, my friend owns it. So 
he's very generous with uh, the drink tickets, and a lot of times bands will stay and you know have fun. So this was one of those nights. I went back early, went to sleep. The keyboardist that I was staying with, I don't know when he got back. He probably got back three or four, but I had to get up early and do a little bit of work before we left. So yeah, I get up at like seven thirty-eight. You know, he's in bed. Yeah, everything looks pretty normal in the room. I go into the bathroom. Everything's pretty pristine, except right on the middle of that bath mat was a large pile of. <laughs> <laughs> I was almost expecting you to say that. Yeah. <laughs> I have no idea what he was thinking because it was literally right next to, next the, to toilet. the toilet. Um, so I, I walked right back out. <laughs> I was and... like, yeah, you need to go clean that up. <laughs> um, yeah, he was quite baffled by that. Um, and are you sure it was his? I'm pretty sure it was him. Mind you, if that's the worst thing that's happened, that's not as bad as it could be perhaps in other countries. Oh, yeah. No, yeah, we've never had anything horrible. Good. Yeah. <laughs> well, how about then? Well, we've heard one of the bad stories. How about one of the success stories? Have you had like any bands that, um, you know, through you, have then since gone on to bigger things in China? Oh, for sure. I mean, a lot of bands. I mean, the idea when I book the bands is to help them build an audience like locally mm. so that future tours are possible. You know, there's more money involved and they can come back on a consistent basis. Um, like Postal Jonan, this Swedish-Norwegian band um, that I've known for years and years, uh, when they first came, they were very unknown, and they're still quite unknown to the rest of the world outside of, like, uh, Norway, Sweden, and China. Yeah, so you do, like, small rooms, you know, 20, 30 people, and now they came back last year and it was 400. Wow. And then in what way do you think that the music tastes in China are any different to anywhere else? Or do you think it's it's more or less the same? That is a hard one. I mean, China, you can obviously there are people who like all types of music just like anywhere else or follow any type of music like anywhere else. Just not in the same number. Take, for example, since we're using all my Nordic references, you go to somewhere like Norway and uh, the total population, what is like 4 million, yeah. 5 million? Mm. So Oslo, the capital... I don't even think there's a million people. Don't fact check me on that. <laughs> I don't think there's a million people. And there's dozens of live houses of all sizes. You know, they're consistently doing shows. And that's a city of less than a million. China, there's over a hundred of those. And like Luoyang, what, five, six million people? Mm. There's one place I know of to do shows. And they do maybe a handful a year. It's just because most people in China and Asia in general go towards like more mainstream pop mm. uh, they do have like you know little niche fan groups of everything but yeah so i guess you'd call that in other countries the alternative scene wouldn't you yeah you could call it the alternative so basically anything that's not k-pop or mainstream pop would be alternative mm. uh, which would be like rock and electronica and hip-hop and like 13 country exactly and, yeah, everything right all under that umbrella mm. um and is that changing? Like, do you see it um, at least slowly changing or is it still pretty much pop-based? No, it's pretty much pop-based. Mm. <laughs> what changes is the revolving door of, like, expats and foreigners coming in. Mm. Seeing, like, these, you know, underground shows. There is a lot of energy there. It is quite nice. But then thinking, like, oh, wow, this is great. This is going to grow big, you know. We're going to make it, like, the next United States where there's clubs everywhere and everyone's into, like, different types of music and yeah. It never happened. Never happened. It never happened. Because there's people who you saw at the at the gig a year later they'd moved on somewhere else. Is that what you mean? Yeah. 
it's just the way it is. I mean, there's no lack of rock bands in China, but it never spawned like a greater movement mm. in those scenes. Maybe that is changing. I guess a good example now is like Higher Brothers mm. in the rap game. You know, they've gotten a lot of press and a lot of hype, but will that translate into them being able to play arenas and stadiums around right. China? Mm. We'll see. Well, thank you very much. I, I mean, let's see. Let, maybe let's have another chat in five years' time and you can tell me how which band popped after all. Yeah, exactly. And they, they actually broke out. Yeah. Well, good luck. What we'll do now is we'll go into part two. All right. Let's jump straight in. What's your favorite China-related fact? All right. I actually kind of already mentioned this, but my favorite fact is China is the only place with over 100 cities with with over a million people. Mm -hmm. So there's 102 cities in China with over a million people. In the U.S., the number is 10. Wow, yeah. Do you have a favorite word or phrase in Chinese? I was trying to think of like uh, different ones. So I have different ones for different situations. But this is my favorite to tell artists. Uh. So, newbie. Okay, explain. Uh, oh, hang on, hang on. I think I know where you're going with this. Is, is new the cow... Newbie is, uh, well, okay, so it means basically like great, awesome. Right. But the literal translation is cow vagina. Um, yeah. Crowds will shout it at them during shows and stuff. Really? And I'll be like, oh, yeah. So I try to explain that to the artists. <laughs> they all love it because they think it's funny. What about, uh, next question, what's your favorite destination within China? I do love Luoyang. I've been there so many times. <laughs> mm. but, yeah. Wudang Mountain is nice, and then there are a couple of temples outside of Xining mm -hmm. um, that are also quite nice. Right. Be in between those two. And the second one, I know where Xining is. That's over in the northwest, right? Yeah, in Qinghai. In, in Qinghai, right. And what about the second one you said? Where's that? Uh, Wudang Mountain is not far from Wuhan. It's like a two-hour train, I believe. Okay. So it's really, really pretty like temple on top of this, like, this mountain it's like sheer drops on all four sides oh wow okay so it's, it's one of those where the emperor saw it and was like i want a temple up there right and made people yeah scale this unscalable mountain and build this massive like temple wow um, and it's a day trip from wuhan or is it like you have, oh, you have, no, no. You wanted, well it'd be a very tight day trip mm. you definitely wouldn't want to do that because there's quite a few trails to walk around um but you can stay there um, I haven't been in a few years, so I don't know if it's changed, but you used to be able to stay in this little... Um, guest house type thing. Yeah, Buddhist guest house mm. in the temple on the top of the mountain. Because the only way to get there is like um, either by a cable car or you can walk up this path that follows like the side of the mountain that they built. But it's, yeah, staying in the guest house is quite nice because you're right there in this temple. Wow. So sunset and sunrise, very beautiful. If you left China, what would you miss the most and what would you miss the least? I guess I would miss just the way things are done mm. in China. I mean, after 18 years, I kind of got used to the way everything's done. Uh, I guess the best example of that would be something small, like even exiting an airplane. Mm. In China, everyone just gets up and the first person who can get into the aisle gets off the mm. plane. But there's an efficiency in that because you look, there's never any gaps in between the people. Mm. They're all exiting where every time I go back to the U.S., you got to wait for that first row in front of you, everyone to clear out and... My God, some people are so damn slow. So you always see there's like a gap of like 10, 20 meters. And that, that gap kills also, you. And it's just like, because <laughs> in a lot of ways, there's mm. efficiency in that chaos. So I, I kind of would miss that. Right. 
And what would I not miss? Oh, pollution. Oh, right. I mean, I sense it's getting a little bit better, but uh, it's still there, isn't it? Yeah. Is there anything that still mystifies you about life in China? I, I guess what would mystify me is not anything to do with China, but a lot of the expats that come to China. Oh, God. Yeah, right. I hear you. And they expect you know, China to be a certain way. And when it's not, or it's not Western enough or whatever, they're just complain and complain. But yeah, I guess that's the only thing that would semi-mystify me. I guess that's a good answer. What's your favorite place to go to, to eat, drink, or hang out? Probably uh, R&B, just because that's you know where a lot of my friends go. So I'm partial to that. It's nice, like little hole in the wall. Which part of town is it in? Right around the corner from... Where we used to live. Yeah, where I used to live. So where you still live. Um, right. Yeah. Okay. I'm just trying to think whether I've been there. I don't think I have. It's a record shop or... It's a record shop. Right. Slash uh, bottle shop. Right. So I, I guess I've just worked out what R and B stands for. Yeah, record <laughs> okay. and beer, record and beer. Um, yeah, so that's you know I still like to go there when I when I'm in that neighborhood. What's the best or worst purchase you've made in China? One of the best purchases, I guess, was um, the custom made bed that we had put in the oh. apartment, the, our, our old apartment, the one below yours. Um, that would probably be one of the best purchases, mm. mainly because we got to design it and it served us very very well. What's your favorite WeChat sticker? Oh, I got a couple. This one because it annoys my fiance because I, I I do a similar face. Okay, so can you explain what this one is? This one is Christian Bale doing an arrogant or no? Oh, I would say arrogant. Yeah, an yeah. arrogant little kissy face, like smooch. Yes, air smooch. And there's too. there's a there's a high level of smugness. Yeah. Yeah, that would annoy a fiancé, that would. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and you do this face? I can't imagine you doing this face. I do that face sometimes. Oh, dude. I think that's what, yeah, she definitely gets annoyed by it. <laughs> so she's like, every time I put that sticker up, it's like, ooh. Uh-oh. Eye-rolling. And then <laughs> that is, a, actually made it sound better than it actually looks. But it was a drawing done by um, a local Shanghai designer. Oh, man, I forgot her name. It's me and my fiancé. He's slug-like creatures oh i love it that's really cool and i yeah animated it just two more questions the first one is very important what is your go-to song to sing at ktv you being an introvert i'm sure you have a thousand <laughs> <laughs> i haven't been to ktv in a long time but um my go-to uh she superstar oh I'm not going to sing any of it, <laughs> not on here, but that was my go-to. And did it impress people or was it like, oh God, he's bringing that one out again? Oh, it impressed because, uh, well, it's a Chinese song. Yeah. You know, the Taiwanese band. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Is it easy? Because I'm, I'm still on the search for a good song to learn. It's pretty easy. It's a pretty easy one? I mean, I'll be honest. I didn't learn every word. <laughs> I can fake part of it. It's right. easy to fake a lot of it. And oh, then is it? You hear the chorus. She's my superstar. And finally... What other Chinese-related or China-related media do you rely on? Well, being in the music industry, I rely a lot on uh, music platforms. So QQ Music is good, NetEase, uh, Dolban on occasion. Those are probably the ones I look at the most. I don't think I've been on any of those platforms, so I'll check them out. Good. Well, thank you so much for your time, Abe. It's great to see you. Yes, yeah, great to see you too. And tell me then, so this is the final part of the podcast where I ask our guest if there was someone else who I should interview next, maybe the most interesting person who you know in China, who would it be? 
I'd like to recommend a friend of mine, uh, DJ Bo. He's been here for about 10 years. Um, he's DJed all over. Like um, the first time I really got to know him is when he asked me if I wanted to go with him to North Korea to be his photographer. He was the first DJ to perform there. Um, so he has a lot of interesting stories. That's awesome. I can't wait. And his name is DJ Bo. DJ Bo. Yes. <laughs> Okay, well, I'd like to meet him. I'm not sure I would like to smell him. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you probably heard that Abe used to be a neighbour of mine. Since recording this interview, he's moved out of our building and has in fact moved all the way to Hong Kong, where he now manages tours across Asia. He also mentioned his fiancée, well, she is now his wife, and you can see the WeChat sticker of them both as slugs on social media. Please go to Mosaic of China on Instagram or Facebook, or add me on my WeChat ID Oscar10877, and I'll add you to the group myself. It turns out that the artist who made the slug caricatures is called Flabjacks. I've also posted Abe's other favourite WeChat sticker, Christian Bale doing a despicable face. There's Abe with his object, one of his many cameras. There's a depiction of Abe's favourite word or phrase in Chinese, newbie, meaning awesome. Don't worry, I didn't post anything rude, this is a family show after all. I don't actually know the reason why cow means awesome in Chinese. If anyone out there knows, then please share the story with the rest of us. And there's lots of other stuff there too. Um, A photo of Wudang Mountains, which looks incredible. And Luoyang, both the city itself, and some action shots from some of the bands that Abe has taken there. And plenty of other photos too. A mixture of the cool, like tour photos, and the definitely uncool, such as images depicting the size of cities in China and other geeky stuff there too. Mosaic of China is me, Oscar Fuchs, artwork by Denny Newell, and extra support from Mila de Prieto and Alston Gong. Thank you for listening, and I will see you next week for episode 28.